0: I'm Timothy Putnam, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week we gather right here to explore the foundations of our faith, to look at the implications of our faith on our daily lives, so that together, you and I can prepare to live outside the walls. Well, I hope that you have had a good week, a productive week. Here we are coming up tomorrow on the second week of Lent. And we talked earlier in the year, in Advent, we talked about Advent was a time where we recognize that all is not right with the world. There are things that are still uh, in need of the salvation of God. All is not right with the world. Uh, and so we, through that, we anticipate the coming of Christ, the incarnation of, of God becoming man, to set all things right. right? So that's the purpose uh, and, and thrust and, and focus of Advent, so here we are in another preparatory season of the church, the season of Lent. And as I reflected on it this week, uh, I've come to think that now Lent is that time where we recognize that all is not right with ourselves, right? Not only is the world in need of redemption and in need of uh, God to come and reconcile us all to himself to set creation back in the way that it was meant to be, right? But also that, that I, me, I need to be set right as well. Uh, and w- we get to that a little bit in, in Advent with some of the readings, but really the readings in Advent are more directed towards the corporate structure of the cosmos, right? How, is, how does the world uh, relate to God? And here we are in Lent, and Lent really is a time of, I am broken, Right? Uh, we start off in in Ash Wednesday. There are a couple of things they can say. Sometimes as they give you the ashes, they say, repent and believe the gospel. Sometimes they say, remember, man, you are dust and to dust you shall return. And so there's this sense that, hey, uh, life is short. Life is fleeting. I'm not nearly as significant as I like to think that I am. Uh, and not only that, but I have some pretty serious flaws that I need to Evaluate and look at, because uh, we hide them most of the time, right? Well, well, my flaws are kind of common flaws, and everybody has them. And yeah, I have to go to confession, uh, you know, probably once a day. But but everyone really has those problems, and so it, it's not a big deal because God loves us and God forgives us. And so we kind of minimize those things in our life that need work. Uh, and and on the one side. Yes, Christ is exceptionally merciful. We just came out of the year of mercy where where we as a church focused on that uh, with laser focus, that God is merciful, but, and, we don't do but, we do and, and uh, God uh, also expects us to be perfect as as he is perfect, right? Be perfect, therefore, as as I am perfect. Be holy as I am holy. And perfection, as we've talked about here on the show before, does not mean flawless. It means complete, right? You and I, we're not going to be flawless. Uh, but we can be growing in maturity and growing towards completion. Uh, and so that's the task for us. You know, as disciples, as people who are are ordering our lives to follow Jesus, uh, we were called by Christ to take up our cross and deny ourselves and follow him. I mean, that's a big task. And we like to think, well, yeah, but God, God makes it easy for us. Yes, God absolutely makes it easy for us. God uh, has come the full distance and he's done what we could never do right? He has made us holy. Uh, He has called us into holiness uh, through his death and resurrection. But, and, because we don't do but, we do and, um, and we still have to strive, right? Let us cast off those things that so easily entangle us and press on, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. There is effort that's required of us for us to focus on Christ, take up our cross deny ourselves, And this doesn't have to be some scrupulous thing uh, or some Jansenistic thing, right? This is uh, fully compatible with Saint. Therese's little way. She said, uh, I, i'm too I'm too small to take the steep staircase of holiness. There has to be some little way that God can provide for a little person like me. And that that is the mercy of God at play. And yet even in that little way, We have to take those strides. And so part of that is recognizing our own weakness. Uh, We can't just say, oh, well, you know, uh, God and I are tight. We're going to be fine, and I don't have to really focus on it at all. No, we, we recognize our weakness. And in that weakness, in the recognition that we can't do it, that's the place where Christ meets us. Now, I have to tell you, I am feeling my weakness this week. Right, we're just we're just barely in t- to Lent, and I am feeling my weakness. One, I, the weather has just been so crazy, up and down, and uh, the allergies have already started here, and so I'm a little bit under the weather. Uh, I'm not feeling all that great. So there's that weakness right there. There's that recognition uh, recognition of my own frailty, uh, but then there's also the recognition that I'm not doing so well with my Lenten observances now of course, these things are voluntary. The church doesn't require anything extra for us. They call us dependents. Uh, but the only thing that's required is uh, the fasting on uh, Ash Wednesday and Good Friday and the the abstinence the, from meat on every Friday. And of course, this year, most places, um, even that's waived on, on uh, St. Patrick's Day because it falls on a Friday this year. So, I mean, the church is very lenient in what she asks us to do. And yet, we, uh, we have these things for ourselves that we say, okay, I want to grow in holiness this year, so I'm going to do X, Y, Z. And we always have these great big pictures of what that's going to be. And so for me this year, I was going to completely eschew social media on my phone, and sometimes that works. Uh, I even deleted it off my phone, and and then I still used uh, the, the internet browser to get there, right? So, I mean, there's only so many things you can delete off the phone without just going to an old dumb flip phone, which uh, may be the right path for me. But I haven't done so great with that. <laughs> I was going to read through uh, several encyclicals, and I've gotten a couple of pages in. Uh, the only thing that I think uh, has been really good for me is I've I've really focused on slowing down and giving my children some more uh, individualized, focused attention. Uh, one of the ways we do that is every night I've taken, uh, and really our, our bedtime routine is extended during this Lenten season um, to about 30 to 40 minutes, uh, which is quite a bit longer than normal, quite a bit longer than normal. Uh, but I've been sitting and I've been asking each kid, what, what significant thing happened to you today, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, what, what happened to you, uh, and what stood out in your day? And, um, you know, my, my oldest kid is, uh, nine years old. And I've, I had this picture in my mind of, uh, you know, the day's going to come where I'm going to be more engaged and it's going to be going to be because they get to a certain age. And I've just realized that that's not the case. And that, they need to see me listening to them and paying attention to them right now, right? They need to know that, that I am listening to them now for them ever to begin to trust me to listen when those things do truly become uh, exceptionally important. Not that the things that they think now aren't important, but there will come a time where they really need that advice more than they do right now. And so, uh, so yeah, we've been taking a lot of time and letting each child talk until they're just done. And for the the three-year-old, for the three-year-old, that can go on for a while because everything is significant. I mean, everything. Uh, So we, we do try to guide that just a little bit, but it's been, I've noticed the whole house just being a little bit more settled and more calm, and more confident in in just you know just being around. So um, so that's been a part of my Lenten practice that that has been really good. The rest of it, you know, I see I see my own failings, and I recognize even in my attempts at at growth, I am still so weak at doing it. I do need that little way. I need that little way uh, toward holiness. But it starts with recognizing. That I need that way, right? It starts with a recognition that I'm weak. So Advent is that time where we recognize that something's not right with the world. And Lent is that time where I recognize that something is not right with me. And not only with me and God, but with me and the world around me. Uh, for instance, for me this time, it's been recognizing that not all is right with me and my children. As, as good as things are, uh, I'm also recognizing the weaknesses. I'm recognizing the places where I need to shore up and and uh, give my children the confidence they need by being the father they need. I'm also recognizing that all is not right with me and the world at large. You know, we can look at the the struggles of society and we can see the problems writ large. And we can have these opinions that are political and, and kind of delegate that to the political world. And re, we're here with our opinions and with our vote and with our um, you know, trying to, to guide and give influence to those who represent us. But that's that's the world writ large. But we also recognize that on the individual level, uh, that there are problems in our society and in the way that we individually interact with that society. And so we're going to spend the rest of our time today talking about that, talking about Catholic social doctrine uh, because there's a class coming up uh, that it's free of charge up at CUA. It's available online uh, on Catholic social doctrine. We're going to talk with one of the professors, uh, Dr. Joseph Capizzi, just after the break uh, and give you all the information of how you can sign up for this class and, and join me because I've signed up and I'm going to go through it starts on april 24th why don't you go over to social media facebook.com step outside the walls on twitter the handle is at outside the walls talk to me about those things that you are doing in your Lenten practice where is god showing you uh his strength in your weakness we'll be right back Welcome back to Outside the Walls. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. So glad that you're here today. Got a great show for you today. Really kind of the the heart of what this show is, is to look at the implications of our faith on our daily life. And what better to do that uh, than a course that's offered at at the, the collegiate level, graduate level, uh, and it's offered to you really free of charge unless you want a certificate. And what am I talking about? Well, I'm talking about a course on Catholic social doctrine for professionals uh, presented by Catholic University of America in Washington, D.C., and the Vatican Foundation, uh, Santissimus Annus Pro Pontifice, uh, which is in commemoration of the 125th anniversary of Pope Leo XIII's encyclical, Rerum Novarum. Uh, this is just going to be an amazing course. It's eight weeks. It won't take a lot of your time. And I'm telling you about this because I've signed up for it. I'm looking forward to what is offered in this. And so today we're talking with one of the professors of that course. We're talking with uh, Dr. Joseph Capizzi, who's the ordinary professor of moral theology and ethics and the associate dean for graduate studies there at CUA. Uh, Dr. Capizzi, thank you so much for being on the show.
1: It's my pleasure, Timothy. Thank you for having me.
0: So let's talk, uh, as we begin, uh, about this course. W- what was the uh, the impetus for taking the the resources that you have there at the graduate level for preparing people for really advanced degrees and making that available to, to the normal uh, person who doesn't have the time maybe to go and get that kind of degree?
1: Sure. Great question. Um, as you probably are aware, Timothy, one of the constant complaints about um, – the Catholic Church is that she has this body of teaching called Catholic Social Doctrine, about which very few Catholics know um, very, very little, right, Um, if anything. Uh, so the idea was to somehow get all this great material to as wide an audience as possible, and in particular to get them to professionals, um, business people, attorneys, um, people in all walks of life who have interest um, in moral questions, and how the faith, as you said, pertains to the, the kinds of decisions they make every day um, in the workplace um, and in other aspects of their lives.
0: So this is something that uh, it's coming out of the CUA School of Business. Uh, but yes. let, let's say that you have someone like me who uh, works but is not so much in what you would consider a, a business atmosphere. What kind of right. things can can uh, I expect to get out of this course? You-
1: this is not really targeted per se to business people. All of the moral teachings of Catholic social doctrine really aim at um, all people of good fit, of goodwill, as you know. And so, what they tr- what it tries to do is um, anticipate certain kinds of concerns people have, both in inter- both very specifically, like you know, what should I do in this or that aspect of my business life, let's say, and that can be for somebody who's a teacher, for a lawyer, for a veterinarian, for uh, you know somebody in business. But it also is answering much, much more general questions about what is the relationship of work or staying at home or raising my children, um, uh, you know, going on for further education to my faith? How does faith inform those kinds of questions and many, many more? One of the misconceptions about Catholic social teaching is that it only is concerned with business or it's only concerned with economic questions when in fact it's concerned with everything from Uh, you know, the beginnings of life type questions, all the way to very specific economic concerns as well. So it, Mm -hmm. you know, as with much in Catholicism, it's a very integrated conception of uh, the relationship of the faith to our lives. Mm
0: -hmm. A lot of people, when they think of Catholic social doctrine, they think of uh, those peace and justice issues, which generally they associate politically and not spiritually. And so... uh, I like to, to break it out a little bit and say, well, you know, we have two great commands in the faith. We have love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then the second is love your neighbor as yourself. And right. the catechism is split up into that way. And and much all of our faith is really ordered around those two commands. And so what we're dealing with, as I understand it, in this, this Catholic social doctrine arena, both in the course and just in general, is trying to grapple with that second greatest command. What does it mean to love my neighbor as myself and, and in all the various uh, ways that that can play out?
1: Right, that's right. Well, th- the way you describe it is, is exactly right because those two great, those two great commandments are really about justice ultimately. And it's one of the things that I think sometimes we forget is that justice is first, about justice to God, right? So we have certain kinds of obligations and responsibilities to God. And then, as you said, the second command, commandment reminds us in a sense of like the horizontal aspects of justice, the way that we as human beings relate to each other. But they're all, right, they're all kind of wrapped up together. The way we relate to each other as human beings is going to also impact the way we relate to God, and the way we relate to God is going to also impact the way we relate to human beings. So ultimately, in a way, it's always about justice, and Thomas Aquinas, St. you know, St. Thomas Aquinas, of course, explains that all of morality can be conceived of in terms of justice. So we shouldn't, as Catholics, be scared of that term, right? Um, we understand sometimes people use it to indicate certain kinds of political concerns, but as Catholics, we want to reclaim that term, right, and say, yes, justice, always justice, but first, justice to God, second, justice to each other, Right. Right.
0: Well, of course, I came from a, a Protestant background, and this is something I still wrestle with with some of uh, some of my extended family is there's this idea that justice is is really just when, when God does it, it's good. But when we do it, it's really just vengeance. And so they don't have this concept of uh, that idea of giving to someone what they're due.
1: It, right. And right. the
0: justice is less concerned with uh, meeting out justice on the oppressor as much as it is giving justice that which is due to the oppressed.
1: That's right. That's absolutely right. Justice entails, again, all of morality, right? It includes it all. And w- one aspect of that can be the justice that we associate with punishment, right? That's an important aspect, but it's, it's secondary to justice considered much more broadly or more fundamentally, which is, again, give to a each other what they are doing. For instance, as parents, right, we have certain obligations towards our children, um, and those those are we, we would never think of them in terms of justice, right? Mm-hmm. You never say, you know, it's just that I do this or that to my son or my daughter. On the other hand, it is about justice, right? The child rightly command, you know, rightly expects certain kinds of behavior from us towards them on the basis of a relationship, and the same is true of spousal relationships, relationships between. Citizens and their government, um, you know relationships as Pope Leo the Thirteenth argued between workers and their employers. you know so that term encompasses a lot, and it's really rich because of that. And of course, one of those things that encompasses is conceptions of punishment, right? and that and that's important to talk about, too, but it's only one aspect of it. Mm-hmm.
0: So let's come back to this uh, example of uh, the parent and children. Uh, this sure. is something that you're well acquainted with, right? Because you yourself, you have six children. I do have six uh, children, right? We, we've and got... they're
1: always making justice demands upon me.
0: <laughs> and, and you know, they don't necessarily always... Um, some of the things that they think are justice demands, maybe not, but yet That's right. there's a number of other things that, well, uh, in in what is due to them, just by virtue of them being made in the image of God, and being in this relationship, now I have some obligations. Uh, right. So t- tell me, uh, give me an example that's maybe played out that's not too personal uh, in your life of, of a time where you saw that justice relationship really play out with you and your kids.
1: Sure, um, actually this, this is an example that comes up a lot and I, and I suspect it's one that many of your listeners will experience in their own lives. There's so much pressure today on us as parents, um, and, and a lot of it is self-imposed, right? To, to try to make our children achieve as much as possible, right, so parents have, you know, they feel this pressure both from their peers, maybe from themselves, maybe from culture more broadly, just to be driving their children, right? Literally driving them from place to place, right? <laughs> right. Activity to activity, but also driving them in the sense of ambition, be great, be excellent, and so on. And I can remember, you know, succumbing to this myself as I have done and I'm sure I will do again in the future. And one of my daughters, I have five daughters and a son, and one of my daughters saying at one point, effectively, don't I have a right to just sit and relax? You know, isn't there like don't I have like a, a claim just on doing nothing? And and I remember being caught up by that. You know, it was hers was a justice plea. Like they're, Dad, you're going overboard, right? You are, demanding, you are demanding too much from us right now or from me right now. And, and really, the, the right thing to do here, the obligation you have towards me is to, is to protect my childhood, like to, you know, to, to see that childhood is not, childhood is in part about not having the same kinds of demands that adults have on their time. Um, and and maybe that, look, maybe that's actually a lesson for us as adults as well to think about, but I thought that that was a great, point she was raising, even though she wasn't saying it as a justice claim, but it really was a justice claim and also a, a true justice claim. Mm-hmm. Children have the right to not have their parents bearing down on, upon them with their ambitions and expectations at all times. Yeah.
0: And, you know, as a parent, we like to think that our job is to, uh, you know, to prepare them for the world and give them all the tools that they need and and make them successful. And really, our job is to give them a good and proper picture of of an ordered life, right? To give them uh, an understanding of who God is and how they relate to the world and how they relate to God together.
1: That's right. Yeah. In fact, I think one of the one of the key things that we try to discuss as a family and try to remind ourselves of is is gratitude, right? It's just, you know, that which relates to the, the conception of an ordered world, right? We are grateful for being here. We are grateful for the world that is given to us, We're, right? So it so it really connotes this conception of the giftedness of life, right? That it's it's a gift to be alive, and it's a gift to be alive wherever you are, and it's a gift to have whatever things you have, ranging from you know, loving parents to, to siblings and so on. Um, so gratitude is an important part of you know, understanding the world as an ordered place.
0: We're going to continue this conversation with Dr. Joseph Capizzi just after this break. This class is the Catholic Social Doctrine for Professionals. You can find out more information at csdcertificate.com. But go to social media, Facebook.com slash Step Outside the Walls. On Twitter, the handle's at Outside the Walls, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to Outside the Walls. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. So glad that you're here today as we talk about the implications of our faith, uh, specifically regarding the, the Catholic social doctrines that a lot of times we think are just these uh, heady things that are for, uh, for different people, for bishops and priests and, uh, and ethicists to worry about. Uh, but that's not true. It's, it's the purview of all of us. Uh, to be living out the fullness of our faith. And so today we're talking with uh, Dr. Joseph Capizzi, who is the Ordinary Professor of Moral Theology and Ethics at Catholic University of America. And part of this great course, this eight-week course that you can do online uh, on Catholic social doctrine. You can find out more information and register over at csdcertificate.com, csdcertificate.com. It's an eight-week course, and it's, it's free of charge for you unless you want the certificate, which comes from CAPP, which is a Vatican foundation, uh, and that's $300. But otherwise, the course itself is available to you, uh, graduate level work uh, and, and teaching and just rich teaching uh, available to you on your computer starting April 24th. Uh, so Dr. Capizzi, thank you again for being with us today.
1: My pleasure, Timothy. Happy so, to be here.
0: So let's talk a little bit about the nuts and the bolts. Someone signs up, sure. they're ready to go. Uh, what, what can they expect from the course itself?
1: Great. Um, the course contains eight modules. There are eight sections of it. Um, and I do the first section, which is an introduction to Catholic social doctrine. Obviously it's very quick. Each uh, module only lasts about, um, there's about t- less than 20 minutes of video. Um, And it's not my face. It's, you know, uh, slides um, with me talking underneath it. Um, And then behind me are seven of my colleagues here at Catholic University. And there are modules ranging from my introduction to Catholic Social Doctrine to uh, a great one on family and its relationship to the economy, uh, one on uh, entrepreneurship. There's one on uh, businesses. So there's there's eight of these. You can do them at your own pace. Uh, very limited reading associated with each of them, um, and you know some neat animated graphics uh, as well, and uh, some discussion. There's moderated discussion uh, that's uh, moderated by a graduate student here at Catholic University, and that discussion again goes at your own pace. It's people just posting um, to uh, you know essentially a board um, their own questions or that maybe their answers to questions other students who are taking at the same time may have. We've had close to 600 students already uh, enroll for this. And this has only been offered since spring of seven, uh, assuming have 16. Hmm. Uh, and I think we have about 300 people uh, signed up uh, again for the next session of it. So it's really been popular. And I think it really you know is a nice introduction to Catholic social doctrine for people who've been thinking about it or maybe even just read a little.
0: Now, of course, I found about uh, the The program on Facebook there was a little Facebook ad I clicked on it, and it took me to uh, to actually another site, not even c u a that was uh, promoting this uh, and so uh, i I signed up for that april twenty fourth class but if uh, if someone doesn't have that time available, this is an ongoing course you're saying
1: that's right it's offered frequently throughout the year, I think four times um throughout the year, and we're going to offer it indefinitely uh, It's just worked very very well for people,
0: okay. Now, uh, you're one of the professors, but who are some of the other people that, that we can expect to see in those courses?
1: Sure. Um, my colleague uh, in the School of Theology, John Grabowski, um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with his name or not, but he's somebody um, who he and his wife are associated with uh, the pontifical, pontifical Commission on Families. He works in the area of families. really fantastic. Um, we have Professor Andreas Widmer, who's a former Swiss guard. Um, uh, and is an entrepreneur, and he does the the section on entrepreneurship. Um, George Garvey, a a law professor at Catholic University, does uh, business and business law um, as one of the modules. Um, Another colleague is Luann Zerlo. She's another business person and uh, associated with the School of Business and Economics at the university. So there's just a fantastic uh, catalog of people associated with it.
0: Okay. Now you, you have some background in this and some, uh, obviously because you're the ordinary sure. professor of moral theology, but you wrote a book, uh, recently that's in its second edition, which is a catechism for business. Uh, and you know, you think of, of the catechism basically as just uh, laying out the faith. Uh, how does that different when you're doing it in terms of, and, and in light of business? Sure,
1: what my colleague, Andrew Abella, who's the co-author with me uh, and I did was, we went through all of the papal encyclicals from 1891 to the present that relate to uh, business and economic questions. And we pulled out quotations from all of those that respond to concerns that he and I have had raised to us by business people or by professionals throughout the country whenever we would give talks. So we set it up like the old Baltimore Catechism. It's question and answer. If somebody has a question on like what is a just wage or um, how should I treat my workers? Um, what you know can I work at a place that you know uh, manufactures contraceptives and so on, we we pulled all of these kinds of questions and then just went through these encyclicals and posted direct quotations from them. There's very little of my or Andrew's voice in. The book—it's just question and answer, and it serves as a resource. Um, it's been very, very effective. It's been popular and effective, and I think um, now has been translated into Spanish and Italian. So, if people know those languages, they can use it for that as well.
0: well you know, there's there's this um, this sense that people segregate their lives, and uh, we we tend to think that uh, that our understanding of economics is is really the, the best one, right? The, the, the world that we have here in, in the West and in America, this is the best, uh, economic theory that could be. And yet the church exists all around the world. And she's speaking to economies who have just a a plethora of different applications, uh, that sometimes are better than ours and sometimes are not. Uh, and so how did you, Uh, interact with that are you dealing mainly with the questions that pop up in our own economies or is this a a a much broader perspective
1: that's a great question um and and a difficult question The, the short answer is it's primarily aimed at a like western european american audience um uh but as you said the church is global right she's you know this is one of the 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 charms and attractions of the church is that she's a global institution and her concerns are much broader than merely ours. So um, there are certain kinds of economic issues that even though they're kind of Western oriented, um, nonetheless they implicate much more you know much broader global concerns. Think of like human trafficking, right, um, or the or the financial crisis of two thousand and eight, which right. was essentially a global crisis. Those those issues bear upon the West and the United States very significantly. On the other hand, of course, right, they, they're they global in their, in their concern. And Pope Benedict, in particular, was very good at focusing our, our moral attention to those kinds of problems. They're not dealt with head-on in um, the catechism, because it's not typically a kind of question that will present itself to an individual, mm-hmm. right? But instead, those questions will present themselves to government, um, to people in political authority, um, and— and they have to be dealt with at those levels. Mm-hmm.
0: So now this is one of the things, one of the reasons that I actually came into the church uh, from my Protestant background is I was looking around for, uh, for my landing place uh, theologically. I was looking for a place that was uh, sacramental in its theology and that was, uh, that was also strong in its moral theology. And it seemed right. like in the Protestant world I could either get one or the other. Uh, And so then as I was looking to the the ancient churches, I gravitated towards the Catholic Church because of precisely this that you're talking about here, this prophetic witness to the world, where it's not just speaking to individuals and their application of daily life, and it's not culture-bound to where it's only speaking to its own culture, but it's the kind of place where a little Albanian nun working with the poorest of the poor in India can come and speak and be listened to by an American president, that there's some force of of, uh, being able to be prophetic, uh, morally and to our responsibilities as a society. So talk about, you, you mentioned that there are some things that really have to be dealt with on the governmental, uh, whether that be local state or, or, uh, right. nation state. Uh, how right. does the church at large, uh, in your estimation, how does she begin to make those prophetic statements, uh, in a, in a way that they can be addressed at the larger level?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think the easiest way to begin to get at that question is with a kind of complicated word um, that captures this, and that's the principle of subsidiarity, right? You've probably encountered that, Timothy, and maybe talking to your talk to your listeners about that before. That's this wonderful principle that uh, Pope Pius XI brings into the Catholic vocabulary in 1931, and it's the idea that all all problems should be dealt with at their most local level. The level that is like the smallest and most proximate to the problem itself has essentially first go at trying to solve it. And it's, on the one hand, it's like this uh, you know, powerful political principle. On the other one, it's kind of common sense, right? Like anything I can handle on my own, right? I have a responsibility to take care of. Um, we teach this to our children, right? We try to live this in our lives with our husbands and wives. Um, uh, it's true also for governments, right? Governments have to be respectful of local levels of political authority, local communities and their capacity to respond to problems. And so, generally speaking, the, the the pressure push of subsidiarity pushes these concerns down to more local levels. On the other hand, there are going to be certain kinds of things that we recognize really can't be dealt with simply at a, a local level. National defense, of course, is one of those kinds of things. It's, it's, for many reasons, politically imprudent to allow individuals right, to get together and think about how they're gonna defend their local community, right? So, we, right? so we look to the government to take care of that. Um, Pope Benedict pointed to the fiscal crisis. He said, look, the fiscal crisis cannot be dealt with at the national level. It's too big a situation where right? the monetary system exceeds even the boundaries of American politics, right? So it has to be dealt with um, at a more globalized level. So subsidiarity is going to be a critical principle for that kind of problem.
0: I asked too big a question with not enough time. We'll have to get you back on the show here in the near future. We're talking with Dr. Joseph Capizzi, uh, professor of moral theology at CUA about a new course they've got. Go check it out at csdcertificate.com. Join the class with me this April 24th. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Outside the Walls. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. So glad that you are here. So uh, seriously, I hope that you will join me uh, over at uh, csdcertificate.com as we go through this Catholic Social Doctrine class. It's an eight-week class uh, beginning in uh, April 24th and uh, goes eight weeks long, uh, free of charge, unless you want the certificate. There is a Vatican certificate, and that's a, that's a $300 uh, enrollment fee but if you just want to audit the class and just get the information then go sign up free of charge uh, csdcertificate.com now if you missed any part of this show or you want to share it with someone else good news all of our shows are archived over at outside you just click on episode archive and there they all are now, if you are subscribed to the podcast, I do want to tell you that we are moving that podcast back to the original location. Uh, we've been sharing the podcast space for some time with Breadbox Media. They've done a great job uh, keeping that updated for us. But one of the things that we have been missing by going and sharing that podcast space is that our we can't really do anything other than say, "Hey, here's our show." So. Uh, what we're doing by going back to this space uh, over on OutsideTheWalls.com is I'm going to be able to list it out by guest. And so if you want to go and see a guest that's come on before uh, and see how many times that they've been there or you know the name of the guest, well, now it's going to be archived in that way so you can find individual shows a lot easier. So if you are subscribed to the podcast, you're going to want to go and resubscribe uh, this week. Otherwise... Um, you're going to quit getting podcasts, and that's not going to be any fun whatsoever. Also, if you want to support the work we do at Outside the Walls, it's easy. All you have to do is go to OutsideTheWalls.com and click Friend of the Show. A Friend of the Show is someone who loves the show and wants to support the work we do, and they do that by giving $10 a month. That's just like a pound of good coffee a month. Uh, and that helps us to cover the the minimal costs that we have. Uh, and so I encourage you, Go become a friend of the show. It makes you eligible for all kinds of special content and giveaways and so forth and so on. And uh, it's worth it. So go on over to to OutsideTheWalls.com, click Friend of the Show, and uh, and join us. So today we've been talking about uh, Lent being that season where we recognize that all is not right with us, right? Advent is all is not right with the world. Lent is all is not right with me and with the way that I interact with the world, Uh, And so we talked a little bit in those middle sections about Catholic social doctrine that, that centered on love for neighbor and centered on the fact that God is just and calls us to act justly toward him and toward our neighbor. And today's gospel reading and our reading from the breviary are both very apropos to that topic. So today's gospel comes from the gospel of Matthew, where Jesus says to his disciples, you have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your heavenly Father. For he makes his sun rise on the bad and the good, and causes rain to fall on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what recompense will you have? Do not the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brothers and sisters only, what's unusual about that? Do not the pagans do the same? So be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That gospel reading comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5. Now, today's uh, reading from the breviary is going to come, it's not too far back in church history. We're going to be looking at the Second Vatican Council. Uh, this comes from uh, from Gaudium et Spes, and it's Numbers 9 and 10. And the, the church offers us this. The world of today reveals itself as at once powerful and weak, capable of achieving the best, or the worst, there lies open before it the way to freedom or slavery, progress or regression, brotherhood or hatred. In addition, man is becoming aware that it is for himself to give the right direction to forces that he himself has awakened, forces that can be his master or his servant. He therefore puts questions to himself. The tensions disturbing the world of today are in fact related to a more fundamental tension rooted in the human heart. In man himself, many elements are in conflict with each other. On one side, he has experience of as many limitations as a creature. On the other, he knows that there is no limit to his aspirations, and that he is called to a higher kind of life. Many things compete for his attention, but he is always compelled to make a choice among them, and to renounce some. What is more, in his weakness and sinfulness, he often does what he does not want to do, and fails to do what he would like to do. In consequence, he suffers from a conflict within himself, and this in turn gives rise to so many great tensions in society. Very many people, infected as they are with a materialistic way of life, cannot see this dramatic state of affairs in all its clarity, or at least are prevented from giving thought to it because of the unhappiness that they themselves experience. Many think that they can find peace in the different philosophies that are proposed. Some look for complete and genuine liberation for man and from man's efforts alone. They are convinced that the kingdom of man on earth will satisfy all the desires of his heart. There are those who despair of finding any meaning in life. They commend the boldness of those who deny all significance to human existence in itself and seek to impose a total meaning on it, only from within themselves. But in the face of the way the world is developing today, there is an ever-increasing number of people who are asking the most fundamental questions or are seeing themselves with a keener awareness. What is man? What is the meaning of pain, of evil, of death, which still persist in spite of such great progress? What is the use of those successes achieved at such a cost? What can man contribute to society? What can he expect from society? What will come after this life on earth? The Church believes that Christ died and rose for all and can give man light and strength through his Spirit to fulfill his highest calling. His is the only name under heaven in which men can be saved. So too, the Church believes that the center and goal of all human history is found in her Lord and master, The Church also affirms that underlying all changes, there are many things that do not change. They have their ultimate foundation in Christ, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That reading comes from the breviary, uh, and it's from a selection from the Second Vatican Council from Gaudium et Spes. And these are the deeper questions that we're meant to face during Lent. What, what is the meaning? How, how am I going to find fulfillment? It can't be through myself. I mean, some people try, but that's what Lent is about, is recognizing that there's something not quite right with me, that, that I can't find my ultimate fulfillment within myself. I have to look externally. I have to look in justice to God and to my neighbor. My fulfillment is found through my relationship with God and with my neighbor. That means with my family. It means with the the stranger on the street who's holding a cardboard sign. It means uh, that... I find peace by going and participating in worship with the church, by going to adoration, by, by developing spiritual practices and recognizing that I have to reach outside of myself, outside of my own endeavors, outside of my own activity, recognize my own weakness and my own, uh, the, the, the span of my days, the length of my days, realize just how frail and how short my time on earth is. Now this is uh, becoming easier for me because I, and you're you're all going to laugh at me I know but I, this is the year that I turn forty, and that's not a huge big deal I mean I, I recognize that uh, that hopefully I still have quite a bit of life left but but I'm starting to look at things realizing that I am halfway through my career right I am halfway if I have a a good long life uh, I. I'm at least close to halfway through my life. And so I recognize, hey, um, I better straighten up. I better really focus in. I better really uh, take the time to not just coast through life, but to be a little bit more intentional about life. Now, this doesn't mean I'm having a midlife crisis or anything, but if you did want to uh, to help me buy that that sports car um, that seats, gosh, what do I need? Seats eight, yeah, just, you know, that for my midlife crisis – Uh, But no, (laughs) I, I do, I recognize that I have a duty to my family. I have a duty to society at large, to the person on the street holding the cardboard sign because we're all members of one another. I have a duty to the person who is seeking a better life and maybe not doing such a great job, right? I have a duty to the person who may abuse my hospitality. I have a duty to that person simply because they are a valuable person. Now, I also have a duty to my family. So I'm not saying that uh, we, we ignore one duty for the sake of another, but, but I have to wrestle with how do I, in my brokenness, in my weakness, how do I interact with the world in a way that uh, is healthy for me and that, that reveals Christ to the world around me? That's, that's Lent. That's Lent. Join me, this Lent, as we uh, wrestle with that, wrestle with our own weakness, wrestle with the fact that you and I have a responsibility to the world. We have a responsibility not just uh, to elect the right people. We have a responsibility to be the right people in our spheres of influence. We have that responsibility to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love our neighbor as ourself. That's all the time we have this week. Why don't you go over to social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls on Twitter. The handle is at outside the walls outside the walls is made possible by the generous contributions of our friends of the show. It can be heard around the world on live streaming, terrestrial radio and podcast for showtimes, go to outside the walls.com until next week. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.